Welcome to the I Did, You Can podcast. This is the podcast that asks people to tell us about their lives now, their life at 14, and what's gone on in between. Today, we're joined by Jenny McConnell. Hello, Jenny. Hi, Phil. It's, uh, it's good to be with you. I've got, I've got to say, this is the first time that uh, the podcast has gone on the road. Um, rather than using Zoom, I've travelled um, right across the country. It's felt like travelling right across the country to, uh, to meet Jenny. Um, and I, I think this will be a really uplifting conversation. Jenny, what do you do now? I'm um, the principal of a um, relatively small special school in North Nottinghamshire. It's a school for children with um, complex speech-language communication needs. Um, some of our children come residentially um, from all around the country. Some children come on a daily basis from local authorities um, within about an hour's drive. And how long have you done this job for? The job as principal I've done for about five years. Do you like it? it yes, I, it has its moments. <laughs> um, no, I, do, I love the job actually. I, I, I think I would say I'm really privileged to be in this position um, in a school that I, you know, have invested an awful lot in over the years so uh, do because, feel... because I, I was surprised how long you, you've been here and, and principal for the last five years but when did you say that you arrived here in the first place I started here in 1993 so quite a while ago um, as a speech and language therapist so uh, with a very different job to my job now okay well we'll, we'll go through that journey a, a little later tell us a little bit more about your life where, where do you live? Um, what's your family like? Where do you go on holiday? Just okay. tell us about Jenny McConnell, 2021. Okay. Uh, well, I live in West Bridgeford, so I have about a 40 minute drive to work every day. Um, Just for the uninitiated, West Bridgeford is in the English city of Nottingham. Of course. Um, near to Trent Bridge Cricket Ground, which is famous internationally, of course. Yeah. Because we do have listeners all over the world. I'm not sure. Wow. Okay. surprised by that. I'm not at all surprised. So no, near Trent Bridge Cricket Ground, and also Nottingham Forest football ground. Yes. Um, so both within walking distance of my house. Um, so yes. Yeah, so, so that's where I live. Um, I um, have two sons. So I have a son who is 25 and one who is 26. Um, I live with my husband. So we, in fact, got married in the same year as I started work here at Dawn House. So um, yeah, in 1993, which is how I can remember how long I've worked here. So um, so yeah. So uh, one of my children lives at home. The other one. Um, has bought his own house and lives um, with his girlfriend and daughter. Um, we we're very fortunate to be able to have family holidays from time to time when when things allow. Um, so we've had some lovely holidays as a family. Um, not necessarily always abroad, sometimes in the UK, because we do really appreciate what we've got in the UK. So where's a go-to holiday for you then that you think, yeah, this is going to be really good, this will be, this is us, this is the McConnells? Oh, well, you see, that does take me abroad, that takes me to Italy, because Italy is our go-to place for holidays. Um, so yeah, particularly driving holidays around uh, Italy. Uh, one of my favourite places being Sicily, which we did a beautiful circuit around um, Sicily a few years ago. Oh, it sounds great, yeah. I'd, I'd love to be in Sicily. No disrespect to uh, the, the Mansfield area of Nottinghamshire. <laughs> However, Sicily will probably just end here. Might, one day, just, one yeah, day we'll be back might. there, won't we? <laughs> yeah. And what sort of hobbies do you get? I know you're, you're very busy with work, but do you have any hobbies? 
Um, a lot of my, a lot of the stuff I like doing after school really is, is fairly home based. I like, I really like cooking, so I, I like to have time to cook. That's one of my great stress relievers, really. So at the period of time where, initially in lockdown, where we weren't driving to work every day, well, I wasn't driving to work every day. Um, I sort of used cooking in the kitchen as my virtual commute home, and uh, that was always the bit I really, I really look forward to at the end of the day. So, um, so yeah, so I like cooking. I like walking. I read. Um, we like socialising, so we're a very sociable family. Um, okay, yeah. so that, that's 2021, Jen McConnell. It sounds, if I may be so bold, um, quite a middle class existence. Yeah, I'd agree. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to 20, uh, to, sorry, um, to when you were 14. Yeah. Um, what were you like then? Well, um, Probably life wasn't all that different for me, actually, if I'm quite honest. Um, start off with the first thing, we lived in West Bridgeford as a family. Um, so I was born in West Bridgeford, uh, in Nottinghamshire, of course. Um, and um, yeah, you know, my, my mum, um, having been a nurse before she had me, um, finished work to look after me and my two brothers. So I've got two older brothers. Um, so dad was out at work every day. Um, and, but we had a very nice, a very nice family. In fact, dad's company, um, he worked in work based in Nottingham, but his company was from Bologna, so was Itali Italian. Um, which, of course, then you know, I think probably we had some nice trips out there around that sort of time of me being about fourteen or so. Yeah. Which is probably why my love of Italy is there. I think. Yeah. So, so uh, it was a comfortable upbringing. Mm -hmm. On holidays to Italy. Did, did you say you went on holidays to Italy? That was something that you aspired to. No, we did go. On, we did go to Italy. So we used to go with my dad on his business trips. So okay. Mum and I. Fortunately, my, my elder brothers had left home by then. So. And what was your dad's business? He they um, made dental equipment. So um, the. the all the equipment was made in Italy and my dad um, ran the company from, from the UK. What sort of school did you go to? I went to um, a comprehensive school in West Bridgeford. Yeah, that was so, a good experience, positive experience? It was a good experience. I, yeah, I'm still in touch with friends that I made there. We, I still see them every, every couple of weeks, some of my friends. So it was a good experience on the whole. I think um, I sort of um, knew that my journey through school would be to um, do my A-levels do my o -levels and then go on to do A-levels in sixth form. So I sort of had a pretty clear idea of what I was going to do and I knew that I would probably go to university. That's interesting. Was that because your brothers had gone to university or was it a culture within the school that people went to university? Were? Probably. Uh, I would not, certainly my brothers didn't go to university. Um, and. I think uh, it, there was sort of, I guess it was the beginnings of a culture where some of my friends were going to university, but it was a real mix of people who did and people who didn't. Yeah. Um, but I'd always, um, my um, my mum's um, parents lived in sort of another side of um, Nottingham. And when we drove to see my grandparents, we always used to pass what is now the Queen's Medical Centre in Nottingham. Um, and that was while that was being built. Um, and I think when I, we used to drive past there and I, you know, my parents would recall that I would always say, I'm going to work there one day. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so this was at 14. Mm -hmm. you, you would probably be saying that. Yeah. Something. And earlier probably. Yeah. So would you, would you say that was a dream that you would be working there or did you have other dreams? I think probably that was, I think it was a bit of a combination of somewhere that I felt was very familiar and that I had a, a sort of an affinity to and just thinking that I always I always had in mind that what I would dream to do as I grew up would be someone who helped people and worked with people um, so 
I guess that I guess it was a bit of a dream, really. Yeah, so there you are, Jen McConnell, 14, going to a school with friends, comfortable home background, and confidence level, if not, is no confidence at all, and 10 is, you were super confident. How many marks would you give yourself? I probably, at that point, would have been about middle of the road, I think. I was, you know, I, I was quietly confident in what I knew and what I was comfortable with, and I think we were we were led to um, have that sense of, of um, ourselves when we were at school. Um, and and yeah, so comfortable, comfortable, but not, you know, not overconfident. I would never have been the person who would walk into a room and expect, you know, to sort of hold court in a in an environment or anything like that. I would have quite happily stayed stayed to the sidelines and just watched what was happening. Yeah. So, so there you are. Um, you, you've got an aspiration, stroke dream. Did you think it was going to come true? I think I had no reason to think that it wouldn't. So I don't know if I thought that was absolutely what was going to happen, but I had no belief that it wouldn't happen. Yeah, because you used to go past a place where these people worked. Mm. Did you you know anybody who worked at the Queen's Medical Centre? No, <laughs> no, because at that point it, it wasn't even a, it wasn't a functioning hospital at the very early point. Um, so my mum had been a nurse, but not in my lifetime. So um, no, not really. I, I it's, no, I'm not quite sure where that came from. No, it is odd, isn't it? Yeah, so, so from, from nowhere you're wanting to work in speech therapy. Well, yeah, well, no, that, no, you, we go back a step for that oh, because okay. I wanted to work in a hospital, particularly at the Queen's Med. Um, so it was doing anything in a hospital? Yeah, it wasn't felt necessarily like being not speech at, not therapy. Not at that point. Okay. But then by process of elimination, when I realised that actually what I really didn't like being particularly was around people who were sick or you know, I didn't. I'm not a person who can deal with blood or any of any of those gory yeah. things. So that sort of eliminated quite a lot of roles in a hospital. Yeah. So, um, and I think then in talking to um, family and probably a careers advisor at the time, where they said, "Well, clearly you enjoy talking. So let's have a think about something like speech therapy." So because I had looked at physiotherapy, but didn't really think I could. I wanted to be touching people who were in pain and that kind of thing. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> so you want to be helpful up to a point. Yes, I have my limits. <laughs> okay, well, well, this is your chance to tell us the journey that you went on from 14 okay. to where we are now. Okay. A few minutes, go on, talk right. to us. So, 14, then I, so then I was choosing my options, so I um, went through my O-levels, as they were then, so did did my O-levels, passed all 10 of them. Um, then I didn't realise you were an O-level person as well. I, I thought you might have been a GCSE. No, no, I was only just, obviously, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> probably not. So then went on to do my A-levels, um, but had already then, during A-level time, applied to, well, applied to university to do um, a speech and language therapy degree, um, which is what I did. So I went to Leicester Polytechnic, as it was then, De Montford University, as I prefer to say now, um, uh, in so 1984, I think that was. Um, had a great time at Poly, absolutely fabulous, great, loved every minute of that. Um, very hard work as a university course because it was a three-year course squashed into four, um, so it was pretty much a nine-to-five everyday course. So it was hard work compared to other um, university friends who didn't seem to do quite so much as we did. Um, then, so qualified, um, applied for jobs and went to work again with, and with, there is no connection with this place at all, but I got a job in Kidderminster, um, which is just outside of Birmingham. 
Um, when you say you were qualified, qualified as what? As a speech and language therapist. Okay. Yes, so that was my qualification. Um, so got a job in Kidderminster, working at Kidderminster General Hospital actually, so not um, Queen's Medical Centre, but um, Kidderminster General Hospital. Um, worked for a little while there. This noise behind me I hope isn't too distracting. <laughs> so um, worked at the hospital, I worked in um, community clinics and then worked in language units which got my interest in children with more complex communication difficulties. Um, and at that point, um, or through that point, had met um, who is now man who is now my husband, and we decided that we wanted to get married. So I moved back from Nottingham, got a job locally. It's quite near where I work now, um, in a local language unit. Um, then a job came up at Dawnhouse as a speech and language therapist, uh, which I applied for and was successful in. And so that was in 1993. So that brought you to this building, this yes. site, yes. in 1993. Mm -hmm. So there's another journey going on here, isn't there? That's there is good. a bit, yeah. yes. Yeah, so, so from, so starting, I started here when um, the school was incredibly full, uh, which is why they'd appointed two additional speech and language therapists to work with the children. Um, and I think the journey really through my time here has been um, learning the learning the real trade, learning the real job because you don't you only learn so much at university, don't you? And I think I felt a few years in, thought I'd quite like to go back to university to learn it all again because I really get it now. You know, I'd sort of started to get it and could just do with understanding it a bit better. Um, but then through my time here, developed through, you know, went up from a speech and language therapist. I then had some responsibilities as a manager. Um, went off had a couple of children in the meantime so i went on my maternity leaves um came back and then I, uh, so probably about 10 years ago now or maybe longer than that 10 or 12 years ago became head of therapy so i um have a t had a team then of speech and language therapists and occupational therapists who i worked with um and then the opportunity arose here to for a prince for the post as principal, which was never my you know I'd not I'd not I'd, obviously I'm not a teacher I don't have that background at all, um, but the principal retired from Dawn House. Another principal came in 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 a place for a while, but that didn't work quite so well for the school. Um, and when she moved on, I was asked if I would take this position as a initially as a temporary role. So and here we are five years on. So, so when that when that job was advertised, um, it had not been a dream of yours, presumably. No. So, what triggered your thinking to think I'm going to put an application? What went through your mind? Well, I think when I, when it first came up, when the you know when the first principal um, retired. I think for me it was a bit. It wasn't even a wasn't even a thought. I'd done the qualifications so that I could do the role, um, but didn't really. I thought she was a very hard act to follow, and didn't think that really I had the maybe the credibility or the experience or anything else to go along with it to, to follow that. When the next person came in and that person was very different and maybe I stepped up a little bit at that point and did some other, you know, some, took on some other responsibilities in that period. Um, so when she moved on, I think I probably felt at that point, Do you know, I think I could give this a go, so why not? 
some people, um, when, when they, they find themselves moving into a position that they weren't anticipating moving into, feel as though um, they've got something called imposter syndrome. Did you ever feel that? I still feel it every day. <laughs> I do. That's a conversation I only had last week with somebody. Um, in fact, I think, I can't say it's online, there's a study set there which is a, a qualification of I've been on an imposter syndrome course. <laughs> I hadn't seen that when I asked the question. <laughs> um, but what does it feel like when you when you you're suffering from? Is that the right phrase? When you're experiencing imposter syndrome, just for those people that might not know what what it means. I think as part of it is just thinking. I think I, you know, when I think back to my school days and other experience of school, I think the head or the principal in the school is someone who you really look up to. Whether it's as a child or as a parent of a child, you know, you you have that sort of picture of that. that person as being someone you know right up there and and that's not where I see myself so it's sort of that disbelief really that that is you know I I, I work with people now who I've worked with for many many years in very different roles they I think we have good relationships you know anyway um, but I you realize as time goes on there's newer people who come and people do see you in a very different position um, and I don't quite see myself in that different position yeah it's, sometimes I think it would be helpful in more people people have got imposter syndrome so it actually made them realize that actually um, yeah yeah you, you're showing a bit of vulnerability isn't a bad yeah, thing yeah and actually we're all you know when I think I'm going to talk all, to staff at school I always talk about the fact that you know this is this is our school it's not my school it's our school and actually you have to have the structures in place to make it move forward and to, for someone to agree on various things but actually that's a combination of people you know you've got to have one person who makes the actual decision decision I suppose but it is it's a whole team effort yeah yeah that, that's that's very wise so there you are you, you've gone on this long journey from um, 14 at school feeling comfortable thinking to yourself I want to work in a hospital sometime and here you are now 2021 leading us leading a school in, uh, in Nottinghamshire any obstacles that you face as you've gone on this this journey um, I don't know really because I, of course there are things that get in the way, but um, I, perhaps I think about, well just recently we've had a recent residential offset inspection and the inspector talked to me about exactly that really, how did I feel that, you know, what, even though, she, no, she, I think she used the phrase, even though we've had the pandemic and even though these things have happened, you seem to have, you know, school seems to be doing really well and she was very, very positive and very complimentary. And I sort of said, actually, I don't think it's, it's, it's um, because of, well, I don't mean, I don't think that's a negative thing. I think we've done that because of the pandemic, not, you know, in spite of the pandemic, we've still managed to do that. Actually, I think this has put us in a position where we've done some things that we probably would never have thought of doing. We've been more creative. We've been more, we have come together really well as a community, um, not without its challenges. And sometimes that's been the thing really, to make sure that everyone is okay. Mm. And, you know, and that's from our children, our staff, our families. Um, <clears throat> but actually, I think, I think generally I try and see obstacles as being a, you know, something to get over and to 
move forward from. Because they do crop up in everybody's life, mm-hmm. don't they? Obstacles, and, yeah. and, and unless you're willing to actually say, I think some people just seem to see it as a blockage and just go back away from it and mm. never ever take that obstacle on again. You don't see that at all, do you? No, so you I don't. Work I your way around it and see. I think there's always a solution, you know. And I think if you if you can think in that way, sometimes the solution might mean that you have to take a complete different different turn. But actually, there are always solutions. Um, yeah. So, and, and linked into that is the idea of taking decisions as well. Decisions crop up in everybody's life. Is there any one big decision that you've made in uh, along this journey that you think is worth telling the listeners about? Probably the, the decision to uh, take the plunge and accept the principal job, if I'm quite honest, because it really would never, it was never in my, you know, never something I thought I would do. Um, so I think that decision was a big one, for sure. What would have happened if you hadn't taken that decision? If you come to that fork in the road and you'd taken the other path, what do you think your life would be like now? I think it might have been hard to see that I would, it might be hard to see that I would still be here because um, I guess with any leadership change comes other change and maybe, you know, I think probably I'd reached a point then, which I've not really thought about before, but maybe I'd reached a point then where I needed to be able to make my own decisions about the future of wherever I was working or whatever I was doing and actually having this job has enabled me to do that so I've been able to do that within an environment that I was familiar with. Um, I think had someone else come in and taken this role I think I may have decided to move on myself. Yeah that that is interesting so did you face that dilemma of um, if not me then who? Probably. Probably, although I think the, the the stronger feeling was, oh my goodness, if me, then what? Because <laughs> it felt more like that was the direction it, it was going to go in. For, for I guess pressures outside as well, you know, pressures from the organisation of not wanting there to be a, or wanting there to be some consistency of what happened next. So, so what was running through your mind was you were going to, you thought you would be the best fit for the organisation at that time. Probably. Yeah. Let's think about. Let's let's pause a little bit there. Then. So there you are. You've made this decision. You take on the job. I've got to say, you do seem very at ease in the job now. So, if you go back to the fourteen-year-old you, you said that your confidence level was probably six, seven, something like that. What's your confidence level like now, as Jenny McConnell, twenty twenty-one? Probably on an average day. It depends because there's always things that come up that you think, you know, I'm not feeling what I'm most confident. But I probably am about, you know, I generally am around. I'd probably between an eight and nine, probably. So you're pretty at ease with yourself then? I think so, yeah. 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 So often 14 year olds, um, I've, I've spoken to some people who felt very, very confident at 14, but most feel quite vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And it probably is a strong message to know that actually it's probably going to get better. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And that it might take a different turn. <laughs> yes. So let's get back to now. What do you love about your life now? The 2021 version of Jenny McConnell. Mm. Well, I'm. I'm enjoying the difference that I'm able to make for the young people who work here, who come to school here, sorry, for the children who come here. I'm enjoying that the difference that I can make. Um, I'm enjoying... 
There's a lot of things I'm enjoying actually. I'm enjoying, you know, I like the fact that once I leave school on a Friday afternoon, I can have my weekend to, you know, relax and do the things I want to do because I'm quite good at doing that, separating work from home. Um, so and I enjoy doing that, enjoy, you know. So you, you enjoy the journey back to, to your house and then starting cooking, which dominates most yes, of the weekend. Exactly, yes. <laughs> and planning your trip to Italy. Exactly, absolutely. I'm thinking about what the week ahead has in store. So, because every week is different and there's always something that, um, there's always something I would say that I think, oh, I'll be glad when that's done. There are other things that I think I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's good. And, and again, let's, let's get back to the, the, the 14-year-old version of, of you. What advice would you give that 14-year-old Jenny McConnell or an equivalent one lurking around um, mm -hmm. an English comprehensive school these days? Yeah. What advice would you give? I think, I think I would, I think it's, it's very easy at that point to be influenced by other people. And I would say, um, given when I look at my friends and they, they did a lot of different things, you know, they, they took different routes and have different, are in different situations now. And I think I, I would say a, bit, a piece of advice would be to say, don't be too influenced by what your friends are doing at the time that you're all making your decisions. Because what's right for you might not be right for them, or what's right for them might not be right for you. So I think just, you know, make your own decisions. And it's, it's so easy to not make your own decisions, isn't it? To be carried along by the uh, exactly the, the momentum of the the moment of being amongst friends. Yes. So um, you ended up as a principal of a, of a school. You've even got your own parking space outside. <laughs> yes. Did the fourteen-year-old Jenny ever visualise that being your <laughs> no, life? Absolutely, never in a million years. <laughs> and and I have to say, and you know, I think that's one of the things my mum and dad uh, have laughed about: the fact that I have my own parking space. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she made it big. Thanks, Jenny. I'm sure at least one of our listeners, and probably hundreds, will be thinking, wow, I wonder if I could do that. That's what I did, you can, is all about. Jenny McConnell, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.